Hi everybody, I'm Amelia Easley and you are listening to the Sustainability of podcast. I'm currently studying environmental studies and international business at Santa Clara University. Each episode breaks down a company or product and its sustainable practices. I'm your one-stop shop for learning about everything sustainability related. Hi everyone, today I'm here today with sustainable blogger Jess Rigg. We e-met through the Ethical Influencer Network, which was founded by my special guest on episode 8, Desma Webb. I've followed Jess for at least a year now on Instagram, and when I realized that she was starting a podcast, I was so, so excited to listen and especially to be a part of it. Um, While she's well-versed in sustainable and non-sustainable industries and knows plenty of sustainable life hacks, we decided to chat about sustainable travel here today. Her blog features among topics like curating your closet and sustainable and unsustainable fabrics, several travel guides from destinations like Kyoto, Nice, and places all over Italy, too. You can catch our episode together all about secondhand style on her podcast, Ethical Conversations. Jess's website, Instagram, and podcast details are linked in the show notes. I am so excited to talk about sustainable travel. It's something that I have wanted to do an episode about for some time now. So, yeah, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited. This is like a topic I don't really get to talk about so much, but it's something that's really important to me. And I've really learned a lot about it in the past year, kind of with my own sustainable travel. So, yeah, I'm excited to chat about this and I hope that people find it useful. Yeah, I definitely, it's something that I definitely haven't done enough of research on. Um, And it's something that I want to learn about, like how you kind of made that transition. So let's go ahead and just define sustainable travel. What does that mean for you? And what were really like the first steps that you took toward traveling in ways that kept the environment in mind? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to me, sustainable travel, um, it kind of like, it encompasses everything. It's about the environment. It's also about the people. Um, so to me, it's kind of like taking your time if you can, adapting the principles of slow travel, um, which we'll chat about a little bit later. And it's all about supporting the locals and um, staying with local accommodations, being respectful of the the area you're in and kind of like nature um if you're kind of going for that sort of holiday and just generally reducing your impact um whether that's your impact on the locals and you being like that really annoying tourist that just gets in the way or whether it's reducing your environmental impact um so last year I lived in Italy and I decided well I'm in Italy so I'm just gonna like take a weekend every month and take the bus or take the train somewhere and see somewhere in Italy and I'd never really done that in England I'd never really traveled around England because we always just went abroad when I was younger to like Spain or somewhere like that so I was like no I'm gonna see the country that I'm living in and so that's kind of what got me started what got me thinking about it um and yeah I just took the bus or the train and I stayed in kind of like Airbnbs and local accommodation um like an apartment I knew the language so I tried to live as much like a local as I possibly could and I think that's what it's all about it's switching the mindset from being like oh I need to go see this and take a picture for Instagram and I want to see all of these things and do all of these things and just kind of slowing down and doing what you want to do not just doing it for the gram 
and being mindful of your actions and what impact that is having on the local people and the environment. That's really cool that you were able to do that. And again, when I was studying abroad in London, I, you know, I took the train everywhere. I went to mm-hmm. um, Stonehenge by myself too, mm-hmm. which was really cool. That was an adventure. And so I definitely, yeah, I see the value in that. I see the value in um, just taking the time. And also I feel like it's kind of a mindfulness exercise almost like doing things in a way where you need to like figure out how to do this rather than just jumping on the plane. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So what are some easy adjustments that I can make instantly um, mm-hmm. to make my travels more sustainable? So when you're looking to book a travel, maybe like after all this is over, um, mm-hmm. you can look at avoiding big hotels big hotel chains like the Hilton stuff like that that you find in every country um try and stay with a local guest house maybe you can find them on booking.com kind of weed out the big chains the names you recognize and stay with a local family I mentioned Airbnb before and there are lots of problems with Airbnb and kind of how it's um outpricing the rental market and stuff like that but generally in smaller cities um it can be a good way to support the locals um when you actually get to the um, place you're traveling to um use public transport if you can don't just take ubers or taxis everywhere try to reduce your plastic use um i'm sure a lot of people are doing that at home but it's easy to get in that holiday mindset where you're like oh well i'm holiday i'm on holiday so it doesn't count it doesn't matter but it is important to try and reduce your single use plastic um respect the areas in the local customs maybe try and learn a few phrases of the language and if there are specific kind of like traditions or ways to act and respectful things to do um then make sure that you're following those it's just really easy ways that you can research before you even get there and just reduce the impact and be respectful yeah 100 percent. i never even i guess like considered so i was supposed to go to Iceland over spring break. And um, and so we were going to stay in the Hilton, which is, um, you know, like a central location. Mm-hmm. So I guess it was, it was out of convenience, but it doesn't always yeah. need to be convenient. You know, like you can make mm-hmm. things that are convenient. You just have to do a little more research. That's a good point. Yeah. It's, it's not actually all that much. Um, and it's fun. It can be fun to kind of stay in an apartment a little bit out of the city and kind of explore a different area and live more authentically like you would if you actually did live there um rather than just staying in a central hotel and having all the food and stuff made for you um as well with places like all-inclusive holidays try to avoid those because they don't encourage you to support the local economy local artisans to eat out at different restaurants because everything's kind of in the hotel um so yeah I would recommend like renting an apartment um and it just gives you that authentic experience um which is a big part of sustainable travel so what is slow travel you mentioned slow travel on your blog Mm. can you elaborate about like what that means um and why tourists should consider that instead of just trying to travel around and see everything that's popular Mm -hmm. so slow travel kind of like developed out of a slow eating movement which started in Turin which is a city in in the north of Italy um 
And you know, the Italians, they like a sit down meal and they like to have conversation and stuff like that. And then a McDonald's was going to open in Turin and there was like a massive backlash and big protest and stuff. And this slow eating movement where they didn't want fast food then developed into other aspects of life and, and slow travel was born. And it's kind of in the name, really, slow, taking the time, living more authentically, staying somewhere longer, maybe not just going for like a weekend city break, um, staying, I mean, not everyone has the budget and the time to stay somewhere for six months or even three months, but even just staying that extra day or for a week instead of a weekend, um, it just gives you more time to support the local economy and it gives you more time to experience the culture and the language and the food um, and you'll have a much deeper appreciation for where you're visiting and for traveling it's an amazing experience and you have to give yourself time to explore and have a good time you know sometimes you go on holiday I experienced this last year I went to Japan for two weeks by myself and I was having like 13 hour days rushing around to see everything and I got home and I felt like I needed a holiday after my holiday. And that's just not the way to do it. And that kind of experience woke me up a little bit and was like, no, that's not fun. You know, I can go back to Japan if I want and see everything. I need to take my time, relax and actually enjoy it instead of kind of like doing it now and enjoying it later through the pictures. Yeah, don't do it to do it. Do it because you want to. Exactly. What have you found to be the most difficult parts of traveling sustainably? I think it's kind of like that, like I mentioned earlier, that holiday mentality. Like it's really easy when you just get abroad and especially because I usually travel by myself. So I have nobody to hold me accountable. No one's going to know if I buy a Starbucks in a takeout cup. Oh, well, it's just one time I'm on holiday and it's really difficult to kind of like get out of that mindset um, and actually think, no, it's just not worth it. Like, just use your reusable water bottle or something like that. And I think I've struggled a lot with flying. Um, this summer, I was meant to visit my friend in um, California. I'm not sure if that's going to happen. But I was really struggling with, like, that flight and knowing, like, the flight shame um, and stuff like that. So, but I do try to reduce my flying. I call like them love miles because I'm going to visit my friend and stay with her. So it's like, I'm not, I try not to fly if I can avoid it. Um, I generally only fly to see people like my family when I lived in Italy um, or again to California. Um, last year I went to Fiji and Japan and there were a lot of flights and they were long flights. I think I probably spent like over 40, 40 hours on a plane kind of coming back from that. I was like, I mean, it was an amazing experience, but did I really need to fly that far? And kind of like reevaluating that. Um, and yeah, like when I was in Japan, I found it really difficult to avoid plastic. And in some places, they're just not really with the program yet. And it is a lot more difficult to avoid single-use plastic, especially when you don't speak the language and you're in a new place you don't know where to go um you're kind of just doing what's easiest what's most accessible shopping at the supermarket or a fast food restaurant um I don't eat meat and I was kind of worried that in Japan I wouldn't I would mess up and I'd accidentally get served meat so going to somewhere like McDonald's it was more kind of I felt more secure with that choice because I knew what I was going to be eating um 
and it's not the best um and like I say that kind of holiday was a bit of a wake-up call for me but it is difficult sometimes just to avoid that especially if you're tired and you just want something easy and convenient and you don't know your way around and maybe you just want to take an uber because you don't want to walk that extra 10 minutes and it is easy to fall into that trap and like I say you've just got to think about the bigger picture and think about what it actually means if you do use that single-use plastic water bottle and that that's going to live for like 500 years just there and it's really not worth it. Yeah, no, 100%. That's a really good point, just like the frustration of it all. Um, But no, I definitely found that like when I was spending the weekend in Paris, it's just one of those things. I just prioritize myself and I'm like, okay, like, you know, you get this water bottle and you do something else somewhere else, you know, you do something else to conserve, um, to conserve energy to avoid that environmental impact. So I guess that's one way to think about it. But I completely understand the frustration, the dilemma that you sometimes have to face. So going into the carbon offsetting process, how do you do that? As like, I know a lot of organizations do that to carbon offset their emissions. Um, so how do you do it as like a single person? And then also, um, do you have any like recommendations for which websites, apps to use? Are there any to be avoid? Um, and then why does it seem such a such a difficult and like non transparent process? It it's a really tricky one because I have a lot of kind of like reservations about carbon offsetting, especially with big corporations who do it, and it kind of just feels like they're putting like a plaster or a band aid on a bullet hole. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, well, if I carbon offset, then I can fly as much as I want and it's guilt free. And that's not what it is. And that's I don't think that's what it should be used for. Um, on On an individual level, there are a lot of ways to carbon offset. Some are problematic. Um, planting trees is a really really common way that you'll see a lot kind of like if you google carbon offsetting there'll be lots of places where you can plant a tree and generally a tree um, kind of like offsets a ton of carbon offsetting uh, a ton of carbon um, for one tree but these are causing big issues because in Africa and Kenya there's been a lot of issues with deforestation and indigenous communities being pushed out of their homes to plant trees for these carbon offsetting um, kind of schemes. Um, so I think if you're gonna plant trees, plant them in your own country. Um, in the UK there are a lot of like um, organisations that you can plant trees um, in like Scotland and in national forests in the UK so look for something in your own country um, and if you are planting trees if the company lets you choose which tree to plant avoid it because you might choose a tree and it just gets planted in the complete wrong environment and place for it so let the company choose the trees and support in your own country there are some cool projects you can support with this company called Cool Effects, which I think is an American company. Um, and you can like um, donate and they support small communities to kind of like have um, more environmentally um, conscious um, items. So like maybe like an eco-friendly stove or in Honduras, I think they were doing... Um, these um contraptions for farmers which captured methane um stuff like that which is really innovative and it's not harming anyone is or the environment it's not planting trees and 
stuff like that is is a really cool way to support local communities as well, not just offset the carbon. Um, yeah, I think if you're like doing one flight a year, it's better to carbon offset than not. But if you're flying 10 times a year, it's better to look at why you're flying that much and do you need to be flying that much. Um, yeah, carbon offsetting is not a fix. It's like I say, it's just like something individuals can do and I think really it kind of just like reduces your guilt it definitely does for me because if I'm like well I've carbon offsetted it so I'm not going to feel as bad about flying um and yeah it does have some impact but I am a bit dubious because like you mentioned it's not a transparent industry at all there's not really much regulation um when it first started up because there wasn't a lot of regulation um loads of companies just put up carbon offsetting stuff and then they're just planting trees like I said in 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 indigenous communities so yeah it is difficult to know what is best um but I would say support a project either in your own country or something that is providing something for small communities rather than just planting a tree um yeah it is a tough process because it's not transparent and it is very difficult to weed out who is telling the truth and who is actually doing a good thing and who's just taking your money and harming people. That is, I never knew that, that they were pushing out indigenous communities. I mean, it makes sense. No wonder the, you know, the industry is so opaque. Um, So how bad really, like something that I just popped into my head, how bad really is flying? for the environment compared to other things like cars or buses or things like that I think flying flying gets a bit more attention than I think it actually should so like I think it's like two percent of carbon emissions are from the aviation um industry but obviously it is a way because people do a lot of unnecessary flying like maybe if you need to fly to a meeting kind of like 10 hours across the world maybe you can just do it on video chat and I think that's something we're learning more now and hopefully going forward there'll be less business flights um but yeah flying it can be bad the emissions are bad and also you know when you get like your meal and stuff on longer haul flights it's a lot of plastic and there's a lot of waste um in that industry as well trains and buses are the best options obviously you can't take a train or a bus across an ocean necessarily but if you're wanting to travel kind of in country it's much easier in Europe because all of the countries are connected and they have really good train routes and there are some really great companies like Flixbus and it's really affordable to take buses like I went to Nice in January for my birthday and it was like five euros one way for like a four-hour ride from Genoa where I was to Nice five euros and you can also with Flixbus when you pay you can choose to carbon offset it's like extra like 13 cents and it carbon they donate on your behalf I'm I didn't really look into the company they donate to but is 13 cents and it's good that they're taking that initiative because then people might see it and think oh what is that why are they doing that and then look into it further yeah so buses on the whole have the least kind of like emissions and they have the best fuel economy but they can't carry as many people as trains can so I think on the whole trains are better because it's very close with buses in terms of emissions and stuff but 
maybe a train can carry hundreds of people and a bus can carry like 50. So yeah, trains I think are better and a lot of places are doing like electric trains now and stuff, which is really great and really innovative. Um, One thing I always say to avoid is cruises. Cruises are really bad for the environment. Um, Daily, like on average, a cruise releases 255,000 gallons of like water with soap, shampoo, with hazardous chemicals, all of that just into the ocean. Um, 7,000 gallons of oily water, kind of from the engine and stuff. And it emits almost the same exhaust emissions as 12,000 cars. And that's daily. Like cruise ships are just like floating factories, like putting all this stuff into the ocean. Okay, they're causing a lot of air pollution issues and um, water pollution. And they're like colliding with marine animals and noise pollution is a big issue because things like dolphins and whales, they communicate through sound. So if there's a massive ship, that's making all this noise, it throws them off balance. They don't, and they can't communicate. This is a big issue in ports and places, you know, like Venice. Um, the port authorities don't always have the same rules for cruise ships. So they kind of, the cruise ships come in and they dump all the stuff in the port. They drop off a bunch of tourists. The tourists go around for one day, get back on the cruise ship and it sails away. Um, it's really not sustainable um, in terms of longevity and in terms of the people side of it, like I say, the over-tourism. And also, I mean, the environmental impacts of cruise ships are just staggering. Like those stats I gave you, it's incredible that that is daily. Um, and in that case, it's better to, you know, fly than take a cruise. Um, so, yeah, I'd say train or bus, whichever. Bus is usually cheaper, so it just depends you know, what your options are. So for me, to travel from where I live in the north of England, in Leeds, in Yorkshire, to London, it's like £50 return on the train and it takes two hours. And to take a bus, it takes about five hours, but it's £10 return. So buses are generally cheaper if you're travelling on a budget, especially in Europe, you know, take the bus. Um, But the train is quicker. And I think overall, the train, it can carry more people. Yeah, that's really interesting. I I love traveling by train. I think it's beautiful. It's far more comfortable than taking a bus, um, even though it's a bit more expensive. And I do think that, you know, the scenery is so pretty. I loved taking the the National Rail, I think, from London um, to, like, the different countrysides and things like that. It was so much fun. Um, So what tips, with that all being said, do you have for those of us (laughs) – me, uh, who have trouble packing light. I usually, because I know that the more you pack, the more weight that airplanes or whatever, you know, uh, traveling mode of transport that you have to use um, puts more pressure on it and it requires more emissions. So I've always found that I either pack too much or I pack light and I didn't pack what I should have packed. So yeah, so what do you, what options do you have yeah I mean I'm quite a light packer I I've always found it quite easy just to know what I need but the thing is research again if you have the time look at the climate there are so many blog posts and stuff that people have written where it like tells you what to wear in Paris in April for a week and it just gives you an idea of what to wear and what you're going to need um at the end of the day 
you can always find some if you really really need it you can you're going to be able to find it where you're going on the whole um but yeah make a list always make a list of what you need and kind of think about it running run it through someone else I always read my list out to my mum and I'm like what else do you think I'll need um yeah just it's better to pack less than more in my opinion you can rewear stuff if you really need it you can wash it in like in the hotel sink or something um and like I say if it's really that important you can find it there so make a list always make a list if you just pack without thinking about it you're always going to pack more than you need um make a list and if it's really that important and you forget it then you can find it there um and if you'll probably be surprised with what you actually pack and then you don't use it and you don't need it. Um, So yeah, run it past someone else and see what they're taking as well. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I definitely, when I was, you know, when I was studying abroad in London, I found um, I was going to the coast of uh, Ireland for a weekend and I was like, okay, so I'm definitely going to need a heavier jacket than the tiny little Patagonia that I have. And so that was a purchase that I made and I still like love the, the coat that I got. And so I also think that it's, you know, important if you're going to get something, make sure it's something that you're going to keep. And that's also like a fun, you know, keepsake. I hate to, you know, um, to encourage consumerism and I, that's not, you know, that's not my goal. Uh, but I do think that that's an interesting, it's, it's a keepsake and you're always going to remember, oh, this is when I got that thing, you know, that I spent way too much money on. Anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah. (laughs) So how do you plan? Is there an advantage of avoiding like unnecessary emissions when if you plan more in advance? Or do you like prefer doing like less detailed or more detailed itineraries? I can't imagine you could go so wrong to cause such like an environmental impact um, that you wouldn't need to do if you'd planned in advance. Um, I think the sustainability comes down to more the social impact in this case and kind of like what if the only place you can get a room is the Hilton or somewhere like that so it's like yeah maybe planning in advance in doing your research on local customs and um, local traditions um, some of the language like I mentioned earlier the more social side of sustainable travel I think that's important to research um, so that you're there and you're prepared But in terms of planning and booking things, I don't think it makes much of a difference. But if you're the kind of person who needs everything sorted before you go, then just do it. Um, And if you want a more spontaneous, fun trip, um, then do that as well. But kind of think about it when you're there. Don't necessarily make impulse decisions. I am really bad at just like making impulse decisions. And it's usually like clothing in vintage stores. And because I'm traveling, I know that I don't really have a second chance. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, I have to decide if I want this or not. Um, Stuff like that. Just try not to overconsume. But yeah, I think on the whole, it doesn't make that much of a difference, really. um, Other than where you're going to be staying. Yeah. So when we are researching about um, where we're going to travel, through what companies we're going to travel... How can we tell if a company is greenwashing? So like how do you, how do you choose your travel and excursion companies and you know how should consumers go about it in that way with being with the environment in mind? Again this is tricky because like like the fashion industry there is a lot of greenwashing and if you're not 
kind of in the know with the what the words actually mean you know someone saying oh we're green well what does that actually mean there's no regulation on the word green um and it can be really misleading for consumers um I generally when I'm booking things I use Airbnb like I mentioned there are some problems with Airbnb so the problems with Airbnb um are generally related to over tourism and pushing rent prices up for locals. So in places like Paris, Barcelona, Venice, there have been a lot of issues, um, especially in the city centres, of Airbnbs and long-term like rental Airbnbs um, that are competing then with the normal rental market and making it a lot more expensive for locals to buy houses. Um, so Airbnb was created off the 2008 recession kind of as a way for people to earn money quickly but then people realize the potential that it has and now it's not I mean the premise of Airbnb is you rent your home whilst you're traveling whilst you're away or if you have a spare room but now people are buying second properties and using second properties for Airbnb which was not its original intention but they've kind of hacked the system a bit and now some mayors and some local governments are putting big taxes on Airbnbs. They're kind of banning Airbnb and stuff because it's causing a real problem for the renters in their cities. Um, again, with other tourism, it it brings in a lot of people. A lot of these big popular cities, especially in Europe, they're generally smaller and they're dealing with a lot of tourists who are not necessarily respectful and who are visiting the same places oh like you know Pisa and stuff there's really not that much to do there apart from the leaning tower it took me a couple of hours to kind of do all the historical stuff there and there are so many tourists and um the the they've put a lot of work into like the restoration of the tower and stuff because it just gets damaged so easily from like in the stairs you can see like a well of where people have walked and stuff there is like a physical impact of of a tourism and yeah so Airbnb I have a mixed relationship with it I think it's convenient I think if you stay out of the city so like when I went to Venice we didn't stay on the island we stayed in an Airbnb on the mainland and I think that is a little bit better when I went to Florence I stayed like a 15 minute bus ride out of the city um I think it's about weighing it up and thinking using your common sense um it it can be cheaper as well than like guest houses um or like locally run b&bs which can be quite expensive and I just prefer especially because I'm traveling by myself I just prefer an apartment I can like buy my own food and cook there which is generally cheaper than eating out um so there are definite pros and cons to airbnbs but I like staying in airbnbs um I like staying a little bit out of the city and then I so because I stay with Airbnb I tend to book like everything a little bit separately so like I'll book my transport I don't really use travel companies or like package holidays but that's because I have the time to research and look into other options but yeah um with the kind of like Airbnb as well they do Airbnb experiences which I love I love doing them and I love that it's a thing Um, if you don't know what Airbnb experiences are it's kind of like locals that put their skills or they will take you on a tour of the city or something and then you pay them through Airbnb I've done a, quite a few of these in, in Japan I did a crafting 
Airbnb experience and I met this really lovely girl in Tokyo and we went to a cafe and we made these like books like notebooks um and she taught me some Japanese and it was a really nice way to kind of connect with the locals and we walked around for a bit she showed me around she showed me the proper etiquette for like entering a temple and a shrine the differences and stuff um when I was in Florence I did a pizza tasting um Airbnb experience and we kind of went and there was this local guy who had a pizzeria and he like told us all about the pizzas and his like parents vineyard we drank that wine from there and I met it was actually really ironic because there were three groups so me a yoga retreat and then a family and all the other people were from New Jersey <laughs> and, I, and it was so random because they all like were from the same place and the same like towns and we all ended up on this experience together and it's a great way to meet other travelers and it's a great way to support the local communities and find experiences through that that aren't kind of like exploiting anyone or taking anything away so I always look on there and it's really fun and there are some really cool ones on there as well like some are really random um and some like I say pizza tasting is a is a pretty stereotypical one but it's a really great experience so I always look on Airbnb experiences when you're looking at kind of like travel companies on a a whole especially if you're going to places you know somewhere like Costa Rica there are lots of experiences in nature and with animals then the ethics can become a little bit kind of muddied um a lot of places now and a lot of governments are bringing in external certificates and kind of like green ratings this is happening a lot in south and central america and i think columbia is now starting to do like a graded scheme like one to five on how sustainable the company is and again you know companies can buy certifications so it's not always the best tell but it's a good place to start especially if you really don't know much about what being sustainable travel company actually is you can see a certification and think okay well that's a good place to start um if they're actually wanting to be sustainable it should be really easily laid out on the site there should be a lot of accessible information and it should be really transparent you know if it if there's nothing about responsibility especially in wildlife tourism um email them if you're not getting any good responses or if they're just using like vague words um like green or eco like what does that actually mean if they're not telling you what it means and what they're doing what steps that they're taking um I'd avoid and try and look somewhere else it sh- they should have a clear commitment to being sustainable and you should just use your common sense if it's like a wildlife um kind of like tour and they're promising that you're going to be able to like cuddle with the wild monkeys that's not ethical and that's not sustainable and look for people that use local guides as tour um local people as tour guides um and they're really putting back into the communities there are also lots of like charitable organization and ngos who um provide experiences and you can like cook with the family or something that does give back to the community without being kind of too voluntaristy um so yeah I think the main thing is look on the website look for clear and non-vague language if you can't find it email them but the odds are if you're having to email them that they're not actually sustainable um look at reviews and use your common sense um if it if it sounds too good to be true than it probably is. Yeah, that's really interesting. Were you thinking of Tiger King when you said cuddling with wild animals? 
I don't know. I'd <laughs> Tiger King, yeah. That's kind of different because you're not going into the tiger's habitat. So I was thinking more like safaris or kind of like expeditions into the jungle where they're saying, yeah, you'll be able to like touch these animals and stuff in their environment and disrupt their habitat and their way of life. But also, yeah, with Tiger King and stuff like aquariums and zoos and stuff. Like when I was in Japan, I went to this horrible zoo and I'd read about it. So I, I don't know. I have a mixed opinion on zoos and I think in the West, Zoos can be bad, but a lot of zoos are really good for educational purposes. Um, it really depends. Like SeaWorld, like I wouldn't go to SeaWorld. I went when I was a kid, when I was like 11. But now knowing what I know, I wouldn't go there. Some aquariums, I go in them and I'm like, oh gosh, I wish I hadn't have gone in here. And I went to this zoo in Japan because there have been mixed reviews online. And honestly, I just wanted to see what the welfare situation was like, because I'd read a lot about how animal welfare is not necessarily the biggest priority in Asian countries. And I went and I was like, at first I was kind of pleasantly surprised. I was like, these animals seem they have a lot of space. It seems to mimic their natural environment. And it was like 39 degrees. I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit, but it's like probably like 90, something like that was really really hot like really hot and um a lot of the time they'd taken a lot of the animals inside keeping them inside I was like okay they seem to have the welfare in mind but then there was like these polar bears and it was just so sad um and they looked really unhealthy and then I was kind of like I'm not sure I want to pay to support a zoo or stuff like that um and yeah it wasn't like tiking you weren't paying to like cuddle with anything but it was just seeing that environment um so now I've kind of made an executive decision to not pay to see animals in captivity at the moment um but like I say there are definitely downsides and some upsides education especially with like kids and stuff but yeah it I was thinking more in terms of going into the jungle and seeing them in that habitat um that's really interesting though that you mentioned that because I um I used to do like a lot of marine biology stuff when I was um when I was younger when I was like mid teens and so I definitely found I I we went around and toured like different zoos different um habitats like different things like that we did go to SeaWorld and we talked to um people who worked there and so we weren't exactly it wasn't like we were just doing that you know and just like mind mindlessly watching the orca show so when we went to this one um wildlife ref refuge refuge like place um i honestly i can't remember where it is but they talked about how really there's there's far more space that these animals have that you can't see um just like from from the little area that you do see they actually have plenty of room which is really interesting um yeah and it was really interesting going behind the scenes and like seeing what actually went into it but I definitely agree I think it well it really depends on the um it really depends on the organization it depends on the location and the cultural values um yeah so that's definitely I think it depends but yeah I I completely support and recognize that there's a lack of transparency and for you it just isn't worth it you know to do that research it just doesn't make sense yeah and like you were saying kind of like you know like with Carol Baskin how it looked 
to us like the cat they didn't have much space like it just like cats in cages but then when they kind of like panned over with like the drones and stuff there was so much more space that you didn't actually see and whilst that isn't comparable to their actual natural habitat I think yeah it's difficult and as well it really depends on the location of the zoo and the motivations behind the zoo um but even seeing animals kind of in the wild you know like and like whale and dolphin watching trips and stuff um I've got new found kind of like issues with those and things like that I just think you have to be mindful of it um and think what what are they actually doing are they trying to educate people is it for conservation or are they just trying to make money and is it just for a picture um but again it's just about using common sense and thinking things through yeah and there might be multiple tourism companies like for whale watching I go to Maine up every summer and um you know there might be multiple whale watching companies in the same area that you know one has a money making motivation and then the other has a, an education motivation and so it's just about doing that little bit of research and and figuring that out information and so my last question that i ask all interviewees about the industry or topic that we're talking about what is one major issue that you feel once tackled will solve a multitude of the sustainability problems that we face in the travel industry um i think it's kind of like accountability because right now I don't think there is much transparency no one is holding these companies or these um people in the industry to any standard necessarily um and I think if like consumers choose to spend their money with companies that are holding themselves accountable um and avoid people that are greenwashing or that just don't even care don't even have any opinion on sustainability or anything within travel then we'll really start to see a shift in kind of like the mindset and what companies are doing because you really gotta put your money in something that you believe in and you support and then they'll realize the companies that aren't doing so well well they're actually doing a lot better than us so maybe we should switch and maybe we should reevaluate. um and like I said there are really not that many kind of like certifications or anything for companies who are running like travel experiences that are supposedly eco eco lodges and stuff like they're just deciding that they're eco you don't know that they are so I think once people in the industry are being held accountable for these claims um and it can be more transparent, even in just like carbon offsetting and stuff, which is quite a big part of the sustainable travel movement. Um, once we get that and once people start to realise that sustainability is the way forward and that's where the money, I believe, is going to be, um, we won't really see any mass change. Everything that you buy, everything that you purchase is a reflection of your values and is invested into the movement, you know, that you're putting money into, whether or not you agree with those values. Um, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I learned a lot and I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, it's been really fun. Uh, it's been interesting to be on the other side of it because this is the first podcast I've done. Normally I'm like <laughs> interviewing the other person. So I hope it was okay. I hope people found it useful. A hundred percent. I certainly did. That's all for this episode. Check out my Instagram in the show notes and feel free to leave me any suggestions for future topics. I'll see you all in my next episode.